Today we uh, jump into the second part of this little series called Top Down Living, and uh, you get the image, right? Uh, if you haven't ridden in a convertible, I encourage you to go ride in a convertible, uh, because uh, part of what you experience when you're in a convertible is, uh, of course, the wind in your hair and your face and all that kind of stuff, but uh, part of it, I believe, is that part of the joy of riding in a convertible is you don't have the obstruction of all the stuff around you so you can see better, but in the midst of that, all of life begins to kind of fade away. It kind of begins to sift away in those moments, and it allows us to be more focused on the now, in the moment, in the present, and I believe that's part of what the Holy Spirit uh, is supposed to do for us in our everyday living. I think that's part of why uh, um, I think uh, Acts 2, uh, the very beginning of Acts 2, when it speaks about the giving of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the sound of this mighty wind, I think that was God preparing us for convertibles one day. Uh, God saying, hey, that experience that happened on Pentecost is like what it means to ride around in a convertible. You kind of forget about all the other stuff, and you can focus on what's really important, the really important being Jesus, right? Keeping us focused on the joy of Jesus every single day. That's part and parcel about what the Holy Spirit is about. So we're exploring the Holy Spirit over these uh, couple of weeks, uh, and this morning the title is Soak or Sprinkle, and this is a title that makes us think about watering in Texas, which is uh, pertinent if, if you have a house. Uh, you know that you have to water, and you know that guys like Neil Sperry are always coaching us about how important it is to water deeply, right? Uh, they'll tell us, horticulturists will tell us again and again that if you want something to grow, you can't just water the top little layer of whatever you're trying to grow. you got to water it deep, uh, and it's true for your lawn. Uh, you know, you want to water your lawn. If you don't really water your, your lawn to this kind of a depth, when the hot comes, and the hot's coming... Uh, then, then your, your grass begins to suffer and struggle because it doesn't have the root system deep enough in order to sustain itself. And, and, and you get where I'm going with this, don't you? Uh, that this is an applicable metaphor for us in the spiritual life. That if we really want to go deep uh, with God, we got to get deep with God. If we really want to have good fruit in our lives, which I believe we do, that it has to do with getting water deeply. And that's about soaking in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you today to join with me as we explore some more about the Holy Spirit and, and think about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and as I begin, I want to do a little refresher about kind of the understanding of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was released at Pentecost. But Pentecost, you understand, was a festival that the Jews had already it was something that was instituted. We read about it in Leviticus 23. Let me read for you verses 15 and 16. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, what this tells you is, is that this is one of those Jewish feasts, right? It was something that had been instituted years before. And, and let me ask you a question. How many of you here like to eat? Okay. How many of you, wait a minute. How many of you like to eat? There's some of you that are fasting, I see, today. Okay. All right. Everybody likes to eat, right? And, and we take for granted our food. 
If we want to eat, we're, we go to a restaurant. We go to fast food. We go wherever we're going to go. We go to Kroger's or Albertsons or Walmart or whatever, and we get all our groceries. Back in this day, back in this day, when this was written uh, 3,000 years ago, they didn't have Kroger's, in case you weren't aware of it. They didn't have Chick-fil-A, in case you weren't aware of it. They had to work every day to get their food in order to sustain their lives. So when it came time for harvest, they wanted to thank God for the harvest because they believed that it was God that gave them the grain in order to feed themselves. So the Feast of Pentecost came, uh, and Deuteronomy calls it the Feast of Weeks. Exodus calls it the Feast of Harvest, again, because they had the food. And so Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was taken up into the clouds, and after he was taken up into the clouds, 10 days later, they were gathered in Jerusalem, the disciples were, to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And Jesus' final instructions to his friends was, go to Jerusalem and wait because the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm sending the Holy Spirit for you. So you think about these people that were there at Pentecost. Jesus had just left. They had to have been excited because Jesus said, hey, hang on, because uh, something's coming. There was an enthusiasm in them about what was uh, getting ready to happen. They didn't know what was going on, but they were also scared because Jesus was gone. And, and we read then about the release of the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. So I want to explore with you some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit because I think it's important for us to think about and, and process this Holy Spirit because too much in the church happens uh, on our own strength and not on God's strength. Too much in the church gets focused on, on, on lifting up Jesus and ignoring the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of why I'm doing this series. So first thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is that Jesus believed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised. In John 14, Jesus said, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And you jump ahead a chapter, the 15th chapter of John, and Jesus says in verses 26 and 27, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, I believe that most people here, most people that are watching would say, Jesus is God's Son. Would you say that? And if you would say that, when you look at the Bible, specifically the Gospels and the recordings of Jesus' words in the Gospels, would you not also say that those words are trustworthy? If they are the words of Jesus, that Jesus' words are trustworthy? Would you believe that? Would you say that? 
I would venture a guess that you would say that. If we believe that Jesus said those things, then we must trust those things. Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Next, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Each time that the Holy Spirit is referenced in the Bible, he's referenced with the masculine personal pronoun, he. And this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is male. In fact, if you were to look a little deeper at the actual word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, it's gender neutral. Uh, but, but the reason that I speak about the Holy Spirit with the personal pronoun is because it was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. I say he because it makes it more personal to us. It, it's not some ghost out there. We, we have that translation, older translations that refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And ghost is not an image that many people think of fondly about, right? So it becomes spooky to talk about the Holy Ghost. No, we're not talking about something spooky. We're talking some, about somebody who's very personal, very personal to us. Other passages in the Bible tell us that the Holy Spirit has intelligence, that the Holy Spirit has a will, that the Holy Spirit has emotions. He's spoken of as a divine person, just like God the Father is spoken of as a divine person. God the Son is spoken of as a a divine person. God the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the personal friend of God's people. Now, why is it so important that the Holy Spirit be a person? Let me ask you this way. If you have a need in your life and you're going to somebody to ask them their opinion about some situation in your life, you're not going to just walk up to any stranger and ask them your opinion about your situation, are you? You wouldn't give somebody the right to hear something personal about you when you don't know them. No, absolutely not. You're going to go to somebody that you trust. You're going to go to somebody that you believe has your best interests at heart, and then you might begin to converse with them about what's going on in your life and ask for some coaching on what's going on in your life. That's part of why this Holy Spirit as a person is so important. You wouldn't ask somebody that doesn't know you deeply to give you some wisdom about your life. And so let me ask, do you think that God might know you deeply? Do you know, do you believe that God knows the intimate parts of you, that there are parts of you that nobody else knows about, but God knows those things about you? Do you believe that? And if God knows those things about you and loves you anyway, let the church say amen, that, that hey, it might be okay for me to share the deep things of me with this Holy Spirit. Now, we certainly get direction from reading the Bible, and if you're around the church much, people will tell you, you need to read the Bible. The Bible's like a compass. It gives direction. But you know what? A Muslim could say that about their holy book. A Muslim could say, yeah, I read the Koran, and the Koran gives my life direction. You pick or name the religion that's out there, and they will all say, yeah, we have a holy book, and, and it gives my life direction. You could say that, Right? We would also say, well, I get direction by being in a life group. Uh, My life group is a group of people that love me and care about me. We've invested in each other, and so they, they breathe into me. I get direction that way. But somebody from any other religious tradition could say the same thing about their group that they're in, filled with their same religion kind of people. But let's be clear that that the reason that Christianity is different from all other religions is that As a Christian, you get to experience God personally in the person of Jesus Christ. 
You have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. No other religion makes that claim. And we make that claim because Jesus lived and died for us. And because of that, he, he gives us life when we open ourselves and invite him in. You have to experience God in a personal way. That's why our mission statement at Lighthouse is to make Christ followers who change the world. We believe that it isn't us that changes the world. It's God living in us that changes the world. That when, when God has his way in me, just like that song that we were singing a moment ago, when God has his way in me, then my life begins to change. And because my life changes, then it becomes an influence in other people's lives for their lives to be changed as well. But sometimes, because of the craziness of life, do you have any craziness in your life? Sometimes, because of the craziness in life, we get distracted and we lose sight of Jesus. And that is especially why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's job is, is to break out God's two-by-four and whack us upside the head and say, hey, wake up, you're not paying attention. And, 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 and let me, maybe that's not the right image of two-by-four, because the Holy Spirit is more gentle than that. But the Holy Spirit's job is to keep us going in the right direction toward Jesus. And that brings us to the next quality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a pointer, a pointer to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 14 and 15. He said the Holy Spirit will teach. He said the Holy Spirit will remind. He said the Holy Spirit will testify. It, the Holy Spirit will teach, remind, and testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach us about Jesus, remind us about Jesus, testify to us, witness to us about the importance and power of Jesus in our lives. And we get this spiritual direction on a personal level from the Holy Spirit. This direction has to do with staying on the heels of Jesus. If we were to ask the question, I'm thinking about asking this woman to marry me. And the Holy Spirit then begins to prod us, which way is Jesus leading you, uh, toward her or away from her, right? Those are, those are spiritual direction kinds of questions. You've got something going on in your business. You want to know where your business needs to go. You need to be asking the question, which way is Jesus leading me? And the Holy Spirit is the one who begins to reveal to us the footsteps of Jesus, which way they are leading us, which way is Jesus walking. Now, surely you've heard lots of preachers over the years talk about the Holy Spirit as God's GPS, right? God's positioning system. You've got navigators in your cars or on your phones, and you know that's based on GPS, the global positioning system. It knows where you are, and if you punch in the coordinates, the address, right, it's going to show you the direction to get where you want to go. That's about having the right directions, and the Holy Spirit is God's positioning system. It knows where we are and knows where we need to go, and what we need to be doing is, is, is having this conversation with the Holy Spirit about which direction do I need to go? Where do I need to go in order to stay close to Jesus? Now, we might use a, a, a theological term called sanctification to refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is simply a big word that means that God is in the business of wanting us to become more holy as we age, more mature in the faith as we age. And sanctification is the process of being made more holy as you journey in life. 
That's what the Holy Spirit is about, keeping us on the heels of Jesus so we can be more like Jesus. It has to do with our focus. Now think about it this way. Dating is a process. You date someone. If you have a good date, you maybe have another date and then another date. And maybe all those dates lead up to the point where you decide that, that you want to, to uh, invest in this person and ask them to marry you. But you understand that in the dating process, you are really focused on the other person. You really want to, to help them understand that you are a good person and maybe they should consider being in relationship with you for a long time. You're focused you're investing. You don't want to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing because if you do or say the wrong thing, it could end the relationship right there and you go your separate ways. Now, Christy and I knew each other for several years. We'd become friends before we started dating. And uh, when we started dating, I was focused. Uh, I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that she understood that I was okay to hang around with. Right? That I wasn't some serial killer from somewhere, uh, and that, that it might be okay to, to keep having dates with me. And, and I would do everything I could to make sure that she was happy and that things were good with us and, and that things would continue to go forward. I tried real hard to be on my best behavior with her. And it led to the point where I did like many guys do in this life, and that is that, that I wasn't sure if she was going to uh, say yes to me, so I offered her a whole bunch of money. Right Now, she didn't understand that I was talking about Monopoly money at the time, but, but nevertheless, offered her the money, and, and she said, yes, she married me anyway. And my point is that because I was tuned in and she was tuned in to me, there was something really unique and special that happened, but it has to do with focus. It has to do with focus. And oh, by the way, dads that are here today, while you're here on Father's Day, let me say happy Father's Day to you. But let me say to you that as a dad, the finest thing that you can give to your children is the example of what it means to be a Christ follower. The best gift you can give your kids is to love Jesus, follow the Holy Spirit into the life of Jesus, and and if you can give that to your kids, you will, you will have done the best thing you could do for your kids. Of all the things that you could do for your kids, that would be the finest thing that you could do. And the second finest thing, dads, is to not just be an example for Jesus, but also to, to give your children the best example you can of what a good marriage is about. By loving on your wife by treating her with integrity and dignity, by lifting her up and honoring her as the Bible teaches us to do. It's the second greatest gift you can give your kids is the example of a healthy, good marriage. So the Holy Spirit is a promise. Holy Spirit is a person, and he's a pointer. He's also a power. In Acts 2, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And most of you are aware that this word power is a word that is the root of our English word dynamite. And everybody gets that dynamite is great power. Jesus says, you're going to have that kind of power, dynamic power, when you allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. It's about a supernatural power that is available to us and has been there from the very beginning because one of the things that 
that the church is challenged with is they think that, that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. It was given to the church in a new way at Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit has been here from the very beginning. Make no mistake. In Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of the Bible, second verse of Genesis 1, second verse of the Bible, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. From the very beginning, the Spirit of God was in evidence. In Judges 14, 6, the man named Samson, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one tears a lamb. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, Samuel anoints David, and the Scripture says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, Isaiah says this about a future ruler. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In Isaiah 61, many chapters later, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And in fact, that passage, Jesus quoted, we find it in Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the Holy Spirit is a promise, a person, a pointer, a power, and Last, as we consider who the Holy Spirit is, you may not like this one because it's not grammatically correct, but I needed another P in order to make this happen. You get that, right? So the last one, it fits the image, right? But the last P is that the Holy Spirit is a pourer. A pourer. Yeah, I know, it's not grammatically correct, but it fits. And here's what I, here's what I mean. If you want to maintain... A relationship with God, a right relationship with God. Some in here would say that a right relationship with God comes from coming to worship on Sunday, that a right relationship with God comes from giving a tithe back to God, that a right relationship with God comes from being in a life group or, or doing all these different kinds of things. And, and some would say that, that it has to do with the right theology. You've got to have the right theology in order to be right with God, or you got to obey all the rules like the Ten Commandments and all the rules that we have in the church, and, and some would give you us a list of all the things that make us right with God, but you know, all those things that I've mentioned uh, can be interpreted as just being religious, because you can show up on Sunday morning in this place and come to worship, and people will look at you and think, oh, you must be a Christian, when maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe sometimes people in the church like to kid themselves that they are Christian because they do these particular things, but they're not living a life following Jesus. While these activities are important, these activities do not make us right with God because God's grace is free. How you get made right with God is a free gift, right? God's Son died on the cross. It's a gift. If you invite this Son of God into your life, it will transform your life. Let me hear you say amen. amen. And that gift is free. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is God's gift to you. What you have to do is you have to open your heart to invite Jesus in. If you'll do that, then you begin a life transformation unlike any life transformation you could ever find anywhere else. And it says it this way in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. 8 through 10, it says, You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. 
It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you couldn't be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Did you hear that? God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. You see, good works are not how we get a relationship with God. They are the result of a relationship with God. Do you get the difference? That they're a reaction to the love that we have of God. If I'm going to love Chrissy properly, I need to demonstrate that love not motivated by anything other than my love for her. That's critical to any relationship. And the Bible teaches us that the relationship we have with God comes by inviting Jesus in. This Holy Spirit as a pourer, is, is, the idea is that the Holy Spirit pours into us what we need each day. But you get it, don't you? In order for the Holy Spirit to pour into us, we got to empty ourselves of ourselves. And that's not an easy thing to do. I want to invite you today to recognize that before you can say, Holy Spirit, fill me, you've got to get yourself out of the way. i got to get myself out of the way. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have gotten frustrated and sometimes angry and sometimes crazy about things that are going on in my life. And, and by and large, it's because I'm fussing at, I'm fighting with the lack of control that I have over these things. I know it probably doesn't apply to anybody else in this room, but it applies to me. That we get crossways very often because we want control over things. That's about us exerting our will on our lives. And we got to get away from that. That's not God's way. God's way is to say, you know what? If you'll just empty yourself of yourself, if you just get a little bit out of the way, if you'll push your ego aside, then I can do amazing things in you. But you got to give me permission you got to allow me to be an influence in your life and, and get yourself out of the way. Think about Moses. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Pretty bold statement, huh? But if you know Moses' story, you know his story didn't start out that way. He, he was raised... Uh, as part of Pharaoh's court. He was raised as Pharaoh's son. He was filled with himself. The Bible makes it clear that he was filled with himself to the point that one day he saw an Egyptian kill an Israelite slave and as, uh, as, or beating on an Israelite slave. As a result of that, Moses killed that, that soldier. And then he ran, Moses did. He ran into the desert. He ran away. And for the next 40 years, he spent his life in Midian, tending to the sheep. And it was in that 40 years of wilderness that Moses began to develop humility in his life. And one day, in the midst of his growing humility, God called to him from a burning bush. And once Moses realized that the burning bush was not just something that his mind was imagining that it was really happening, this bush that was burning but wasn't burning up, Moses realized this was God. And, and God spoke to Moses and called Moses to, to go lead the people of Israel out of bondage. And Moses said, not me. I, I can't do that. I, I don't, I'm not eloquent of speech. Uh, surely there's somebody else that could do this. 
God, please don't use me, is essentially what Moses was saying. But in his humility, Moses got to the place where he realized that it was more important to do what God wanted him to do than what he wanted to do. It's much like the experience of Jesus on the night he was betrayed when he went out into the garden. And you remember that, right? I talked about it a couple weeks ago, that in the garden, Jesus says, God, would you take this cup away from me? I don't want to die tomorrow. And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Moses, after 40 years of learning to develop humility in his life, got to the place where he recognized that, hey, God must know what God's doing. I got to follow God's leadership in my life, not me. When you pour yourself out, God will pour himself in. If you want this promise, this person, this pointer, this power, this pourer, is it a time that you finally gave up trying to do it on your own strength? Life, that is. Isn't it a time that you admitted, that you recognize that you have control issues in some places of your life? And don't make no mistake the control issues you have today will be different in a year or five years. It's one of the things that we have to constantly wrestle with, our sin, to get through our sin. But, but isn't it exhausting to try to do things on our own strength? Doesn't it wear us out? I know it wears me out when I'm trying to do things in my own strength rather than in God's strength. You can't follow this Holy Spirit, this poorer, until you decide you're going to quit doing it for yourself on your own strength. Until I pour myself out, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to move in me. So today, I want to invite you to think about this pourer, and I want to invite you to think about how important it is that you give the Holy Spirit permission to pour into you. When, when uh, I was a kid, my dad planted an orange tree in our backyard, and uh, oh, dad loved that little orange tree. And he nursed that little orange tree. And for almost all of my growing up years, we had nice fruit off that orange tree because dad nursed it so well when it was young. And when I say nursed it so well, part of what I mean is he prepared the soil properly, right? Uh, but the key after getting it properly in the ground and fertilizing it is it's got to have the right water. And you get that, right? Uh, and And... I remember Dad sometimes pulling out the hose, and in Tucson, where I'm from, you know, we, the summers can be a little bit hot, uh, and, and Dad would drag the hose out, and he would turn it on to just a bare trickle, and he would put it at, at the base of that orange tree, and very often, he would let it run all night long, just a trickle. And I got curious about it at one point, and I asked Dad, I said, why do you leave that on there all night long? And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm really smart because, you know, you know, that's just wasting water, running that hose all night long. And Dad said, he said, I want this tree to bear good fruit. And in order for it to bear good fruit, it's got to have deep roots. And the only way for it to have deep roots is to water it deeply because the roots are going to go where the water is. The water determines the juiciness of the fruit. Are you ready to have great fruit come from your life? It has everything to do with your willingness to become a soaker in the power and love of God, 
to become a soaker so that, so that God can soak in you and that because of that you can then begin to be an influence in your world and life for God, not for any other reason but for God. So I want to I close this morning by inviting you to join me in a little exercise. And this exercise is about pouring. And so I, wanna, I, I want to invite you to, to sit up straight a moment now. Wake back up now. All right? And I want to invite you to, to put your hands on the tops of your legs and with your hands up, okay, as a symbol of being open. And I want to ask you to legitimately ask yourself the question, am I open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in me? By doing this, it's a symbol, right? Nothing magical about this. But by doing this, what I'm asking you to do is, would you be willing to be bold enough in your life to say, I want the Holy Spirit to move in my life. I want to move in the Holy Spirit's strength, not in my strength. So, with your hands like this, I want to invite you now to bow your head and your heart for a moment of prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Holy God, we are all here together in this place right now. And God, I am inviting you to move by the power of your Spirit into the lives in a significant way of every person who earnestly desires your Spirit to move in them. God, there are people in this room that need healing in their lives. Some of it's physical healing. Some of it's emotional healing. Some of it's healing from, from places that, that have left scars in their lives. God, there are people in this room that are struggling with decisions in their lives. And, and God, they're willing to admit right now that maybe they haven't invited you to the equation. Maybe they haven't invited you to be a part of the solution of the challenge that they're facing right now. God, we pray that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would move in us. God, it is my firm conviction that Lighthouse has got to be a place where the Spirit is engaged and moving in us, and we got to quit pretending that we have it all together, that we have our life figured out, and, and, and when we do that, God, remind us that we don't and that we aren't and, and that we can't know about the future, but you can and you do. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us today. Encourage those who are bleeding for whatever reason they are bleeding. Whatever struggle someone has, God, by your Spirit, speak into the lives of every person that's here today. Help us, God, to really take seriously what it means to be filled with your Spirit and to live in the Spirit. God, you changed us when you sent Jesus. Help us to be in the business of changing others by allowing your spirit full access to our lives so that we might serve you in all things. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now.